Driven mofos, I wanted to mention something that means a lot to me. When I was younger, everyone doubted me and their doubts became my doubts. Their fears festered inside my mind and I hated myself as I knew I could do so much more in life. I just didn't know where to start and failure would reinforce what a loser I already believed I was. If it wasn't for listening to audios just like this, which I spent tens of thousands of dollars on, I would have probably ended it all. I know that there are so many people out there who feel this way and are holding themselves back from greatness. So if I could ask just one favor today, it would be that you share this podcast with just one person, as it may make all the difference and start them on a new path. These are five things that really help me to adjust my financial thermostat inside my own mind, because I find that most people just do just enough to be comfortably uncomfortable. Welcome to The Underestimated Entrepreneur, where I talk about the many lessons, learnings, and tools that I've learned along my journey from being the private mindset and mental performance coach to rich listers, successful entrepreneurs, professional athletes, and more, all while running business and personal performance events for tens of thousands of people who want to get the best out of themselves and their lives. This is my way of helping more people to excel in life, build successful empires, and be the best that they can be. I hope you share and enjoy. In this episode, I'm going to be talking about how to adjust your financial thermostat and some tips and tools that will help you to adjust it so that you get out of the place of being comfortably uncomfortable with your finances and really allow you to accelerate your results. Driven Mofos, welcome back to another episode of The Underestimated Entrepreneur. Now, the reason why I do these episodes is that most people waste their life and I just don't want you to be one of them. And so I really want to talk today about your financial thermostat. Now, most people in life, especially if you're living in the westernized world, you know, places, especially Australia and America, I find that most people are happy to live uncomfortably uncomfortable. Sorry, comfortably uncomfortable, I should say, not uncomfortably uncomfortable, although that seems to also be the case. But what most people do is they'll do just enough. And so they never really get ahead financially. And you'll hear this where people talk and they'll say things like, you know, I'm really struggling just to get by and I'm struggling just to pay bills or I do just enough. I can just get ahead. And then all of a sudden it feels like I'm drowning again in bills. And so they're essentially, if I use an analogy, they're in the middle of the ocean and they're holding onto a plank of wood. They haven't quite drowned yet, but they're not thriving and they're not on flat land. And so there are some days where the seas are rough and they feel like they're drowning and they just get enough air to stay alive. And they're just holding onto that plank of wood, just floating through the ocean. And then there are other days where they're floating on the ocean, everything's calm. And so they go, oh, it's not that bad, but it's not that fucking good either because tomorrow there could be some wind and some rough seas again, and they're going to partially drown again. But unless they let go of that wood, they're not going to drown. And so most people live their life, especially in the westernized world, where they just float on this plank of wood and providing it's a fine day, they're okay. But once there's a little bit of wind or some rough seas, they essentially are gasping for air. And they don't ever really drown, but they don't ever really walk on flat ground. So they never really thrive in life. They just do just enough. And so I wanted to talk about how to adjust your financial thermostat. And these are some of the tips and tools that I have used and that I teach in some of my events, like my leadership event, which isn't available to the general public. It's only available after you've done our Thrive Time event. Because if you can't get your shit together, it's hard to lead other people. And Thrive Time helps you to build your individual success map so that then you can become a better leader. And so after you do our Thrive Time event, it opens up other events that you can go and do. And our Triumph Leadership event really helps you to do things like build your wealth and so on because your wealth directly affects your ability to lead and influence others. These are some of the tools that I go through in that event. I go through it obviously a lot more in detail, but I thought I'd share some of them today. So if you're someone who is doing just enough or you're not happy with your financial situation, it's probably because in your mindset, your thermostat switches on and switches off to keep you at that level. So if we think about a thermostat in your air conditioning system, 
let's say you set it to 25 degrees. And at 25 degrees, if it drops below 25 degrees, the heating switches on and it heats it back up again, it heats the room up. If it goes above 25 degrees, then the air conditioning switches back on and it'll bring you back down to 25 degrees. Now there is a little bit of, I guess you could say leeway either side. So let's say that the air conditioning doesn't switch on until 27 degrees. So you set the thermostat for 25, but at 27 degrees, the air conditioning switches back on. So you've got a bit of a two degree variance. Now, if the temperature drops below, let's say 23, that two degree variance, then the heating will switch back on and push you back to 25 degrees or push the temperature back to 25 degrees. The same thing happens inside our own mindset and our, with our own psychology, I guess you could say. Let's say we have a mindset or a mental pattern and our mental thermostat or our emotional thermostat is set at something like, we need to have $1,000 in the bank at any point in time. So for that person, they have a $1,000 thermostat and it gives them $200 leeway. So if it drops down to $800, they work a little bit harder, they make a little bit more money and it goes back up to $1,000. And then if they are over $1,200, then they go out and they spend and they blow cash and it drops back down to $1,000 or maybe $800 again. And so for most people in our society, they have this work ethic that is based on if I just work a little bit harder, I can make up for the money that I've overspent. And if I have a little bit of extra money, then I'll go and I'll spend it. And so they just keep going around in circles and they never really get ahead. And this is how most people live. I mean, you give someone a pay rise and they'll normally go out, buy a car, they'll increase their cost of living. And so they never really get ahead. And it's because now if you give them an extra $200 a week, they're gonna go out and spend an extra $200 a week to drop them back down to where their thermostat's set. And for most people's thermostat is set at zero or a negative because especially with credit, when you've got credit, you're essentially giving someone, let's say you've got a $10,000 credit limit, they will go, I've got an extra $10,000. They go out and they spend the $10,000 and it will reduce them back down to what they perceive is acceptable. And so they will drop back down. For most people, they'll drop back down to zero, except they're not really zero. They're negative $10,000 because they're on credit. And so most people live life living on credit because their thermostat is set at zero or it's set at a very low number. And when they are given credit, they will go out and blow that credit amount, providing that they can just pay back the repayments every week. They might pay back 50 bucks a week on that $10,000 that they've spent. And they think that that's okay because they go, well, I've just got to, as long as I can pay back 50 bucks a week, I'm fine. But then they're not really paying back $50, they're just paying back interest. So they never really pay off that amount. So they're negative $10,000 consistently throughout their life. Because once they start to pay off their credit card, they just drop back down to a negative $10,000. Because in their own psychology, they see that as being zero and providing I've paid my bills back to zero, then everything's fine. So this is an absolute torture fest for most people's mindset and their psychology. And they set themselves up for failure. Banks know this. That's why they lend broke people money. And it's really interesting because when you start to get ahead financially, sometimes it's harder to get money off of banks. So I know that when I went to go borrow money to buy my McLaren, it was really, really interesting what happened because I had the money in the bank to pay cash for it. But what happened was when I went to the bank, they looked at me and said, why don't you just pay cash for it? And I said, well, because I want to use some of that cash because based on the interest rates, I can make more money back if I go and invest that money or I use it in the business. And so this is a really good example of how most people are financially illiterate. And I have people who come and say this shit on my social media pages where they go, I bet the bank owns the car and I bet it's on loan. Well, it doesn't matter who fucking owns the car because you still got to pay it off. But my point is that what happened was when I went to the bank, I wanted to be able to use the money to invest elsewhere, both in the business and in other areas of some of the investments. Because if I can get eight, nine, 10% back in my investments, 
yet I'm only, I've got a 2% loan, then I might as well go and use that money or let's say it's a 3% or a 4% or a 5%, whatever. But I can go and use that money to go and generate larger amounts of income elsewhere and then pay back a smaller amount on the loan. But what I do know is that if the interest rates keep going up, I can then go and take that money out of my investments and go and chuck it into the car and pay the car off. Now, I still have the asset because I can sell the car and probably get the same amount back for it that I paid for it because I got a good deal on it. But my point is that when I walked into the bank, even people at the bank couldn't understand why I wanted a loan. For me, it was really distressing, as in not distressing, like it wasn't bad, but I was like thinking, what the fuck is wrong with these people? Like they work at a bank, they should know how the economy works, they should know how finances work, they should really understand the flow of cash. And I was getting pretty frustrated. And because the loan, it was just taking longer and longer. We have companies, they wouldn't lend to me because of our company and trust set up and that there was money in other businesses and things like that. And when I went to the accountant, I said, what the fuck is going on here? How come I can't get a loan even though I have all this money sitting in accounts? My net worth is reasonably high. I'm not asking for anything crazy. And he said to me, Michael, please understand this, that just because you work at a bank doesn't mean you have any understanding around money. Most of the people who work in the bank will be broke and they'll be living week to week. And the reason why they work at the bank is because they have some form of skill set, like let's say they're doing an admin, or let's say that they are a manager of people. They might be a good manager of people, but that doesn't mean that they're a good manager of money. So when you walk in there and speak to a manager, they have the ability to manage people well and to follow a process, but they don't have any ability to think about how money works, systems, corporations, anything like that at all. They won't understand. And most of them will live week to week. In fact, they're probably living off credit just like most people. And I thought, shit, I actually never thought about that. I thought people who worked at a bank would be very financially savvy and financially literate. And then he said, when it goes to the approval process, imagine having someone who has studied a four-year business or commerce degree or something like that, who is afraid to start their own business and they're scared, but they have all this knowledge. So they go and get a job at a bank because they earn a good income, but they actually don't understand anything about running a real business and the risks that it takes, the stress, the pressure, all of that sort of stuff. And so you have a good accountant, good lawyers, and all that stuff like most good business owners do in your networks. And so you walk into the bank, you ask them for money. They look at your profit and loss statement. They look at your balance sheet. And if things don't start making sense to them really, really quickly, they don't really know what to do. And they're not going to admit that after their four-year degree, they don't really know what's going on because they've never run a business before. So if they start to get concerned about anything, their natural inclination is to say no without admitting to themselves that they don't know something. And I never really thought about this, to be honest, but it makes a lot of sense. So I was getting really frustrated and pissed off because I thought I tick all the boxes. I can pay back the money with my eyes closed. In fact, I could buy the car outright. I just want the fucking loan because it's easier to get the car loan that way. But this comes back to, again, the financial thermostat and what we get taught. And most people are taught from banks, like when you're a child, you normally get a money box from the bank. And you get told to put your money in there and that, you know, we save money and we save to get ahead. But most people have never really understood finances. They've never really understood money. So it's not anyone who's listening to this. I don't want you to think that shit, this is me. I don't really understand money. And then you feel bad about it. It just shows you where your gaps are because I never knew this stuff. I got brought up with parents that were probably in the lower class or the really start of the lower middle class. And then they worked their way up to now where they're financially independent and they worked really, really hard. And my mum is a really good saver and she invests money and she's always invested money and always saved really, really hard. But that's why I couldn't understand as a child growing up why we almost seem to be living in poverty to an extent just because I didn't realize that mum was saving money and investing money 
And so we almost lived like we were poor because she didn't want to keep living the way that, I guess, in a way that she was brought up. Not that my grandparents made my mum and that live in poverty, but she had three other brothers and sisters. So she was one of four. My grandfather was the only one who worked. He didn't have a university education. So he worked his ass off. And so he worked all the time. My grandmother was a stay-at-home mum. So I guess she had to fight for everything that she wanted in life. And then also she fell pregnant at 17 years of age with my dad. And so I guess that drove her to work really, really hard. So her strategy for wealth creation, number one, was work really, really hard. And both my parents worked. And then they saved a little bit, invested what they had. And then, you know, now they're doing fairly well. So I learned these sort of things, but I couldn't really understand them from a young age. Now, from when I was younger, the majority of people around me taught that you just work really, really hard to create a good income. And then when you get money, you go and spend it. And so I would see all my friends, they would work hard. You know, some of my friends growing up, they worked in certain industries, like they would go away to mining and they would earn like $1,500 a week or $1,000 a week back in the day. And they would come home and they'd have new cars and boats. And there I am working away and I'm like, shit, I don't have new cars. I don't have new boats. What the fuck is wrong with me? And so I started feeling insecure about money. Then when I started getting money, I tried to live up to the expectations that I had regarding the way they were living, the way I was living based on my criticisms. So then I would go out and I would buy a new car once I got a little bit more money, or I would buy something in order to make myself feel good like my hard work was worth it. I didn't realize though that these patterns were mindset patterns that were setting me back and they were setting me back in a big way. And then I started investing a little bit of money. So I put some money into the share market. I did relatively well. And then me being the clown that I was and not really understanding wealth creation and that to get ahead financially is about a 90% mindset game and about a 10% strategy game. And most people are always looking for the strategy. They very rarely work on the mindset. And the crypto boom was just perfect because you get to see it play out firsthand where you get a whole bunch of people that don't work on their mindset, their psychology, their insecurities. They jump into a market that they don't really understand. They don't really understand how value works and how money works in the economy. And they don't really understand global markets. And then all of a sudden they're making shitloads of money. They're spruiking all this shit online. They feel like they're heroes. And then all of a sudden the market corrects and bang, a lot of them lost their money or are in deep shit financially because they have over leveraged their money. So this is very, very normal for most people anyway. So I started realizing at the age of around 24, 25, that I needed to get my shit together financially and that I just kept working. And I was essentially drowning financially, that every day I would get just enough air to survive. And then again, I would go back underwater for a little bit. And then I would come up and gasp just enough air to survive. And then I would sink again. And I was sick of that cycle. So I ended up really starting to study a lot of what the wealthy people were doing. And I realized that it was a really, you, ha you have to change your mindset. That's what I'm getting to. You have to change your mindset if you want to get ahead. And most people will not do it. They will make excuses. They'll say things like, you know, yeah, I'll do that in the future. But at the moment, like, I just want to get ahead financially. And I have this every week. Every week, I'm on the phone with a bunch of people who put in their details to know more about what we do. Some of you might be listening to this podcast right now. And most people make excuses as to why they can't come and do one of our events like Thrive Time. They'll say things like, you know, I need to work. I can't get the time off. You can't get the time off because you're fucked. You can't take four days off without pay because you're fucked. You've already got so many bad financial habits that to take four days off would essentially ruin you financially and you know it. And so most of them just won't come. Most of them think, you know what, if I just find the next thing to invest in, the next Bitcoin or the next crypto boom or the next thing, and they gamble their money away, and it is gambling. If you don't understand what value exchange is, how it works, how the economies work, and how markets work, you're essentially gambling. And I could see this happening with Bitcoin. Now, I made a bit of money out of crypto, not quite a bit, but I made a bit of money out of crypto. And the reason why is because I understood human behavior and I understood market cycles and I understood that most people in society were starting to act stupid with money. 
and stupid people have to learn stupid lessons. And so I knew that the market was going to teach stupid people stupid lessons. And they were getting in there and getting elated and getting excited. So I just put my money in, watched it go up. When it went up, I ended up pulling it out. It was volatile and it made me volatile as well, mentally and emotionally. I pulled it out and then I put it back into other investments. And luckily I did because the market dropped quite heavily. I still would have made money because I got in a lot earlier. Like I bought Bitcoin, I think, or cryptocurrencies, Ethereum, Litecoin, and so on. I bought them, I think, in early 2017. So, you know, I got a bit of a good run, but I just found that it was too volatile. It didn't really make sense when you look at value exchange, when you look at markets and economies and you've done research. Looking back hundreds of years, even thousands of years back into how economies work, how societies work and so on. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't think that the blockchain will probably have some sort of an influence on society in the future. That's not what I'm saying. It's just that making money out of thin air or making an exchange out of thin air and exchanging something that doesn't really exist is a bad idea, I think. Now, when I look at money, yes, money is exactly the same thing. Essentially, it's a fiat currency where the government says this is something and we agree upon that that is an exchange of wealth. The difference is, though, you've got a whole country and the world that understand that that's the way that markets work. And so pretty much the whole world agrees that money is a form of value exchange. It's backed by governments. Those governments have militaries. Those militaries will go and blow shit up and fuck things up if those economies are rattled. So you essentially have a lot of power behind that money. Now, that is a good thing, but it's also a bad thing. Also, you have things like the Federal Reserve, which a lot of people criticize and a lot of people judge. But they're also there for a very specific reason, and they help to stabilize the economy. You can't go and buy a coffee today, which costs, let's say, we'll calculate this in US dollars. But let's say you go and buy a coffee today for $2 US. And then tomorrow I wake up and I think I'm going to go out and I'm going to get my coffee, my morning coffee. And the next second it's worth $15. And then tomorrow I wake up and I go, shit, what's coffee worth today? Like, am I going to pay $15 for a coffee or am I going to pay $2? Or is it 50 cents? Like, fuck, I don't know. It is so hard to then manage your life when you don't know what the actual cost of things are. Now, when you have currencies that move so rapidly or when you have a medium of exchange that is so volatile, like cryptocurrencies were, it's too hard to manage your everyday life. So federal reserves and governments essentially counterbalance the economy to make sure that things aren't going up too quick in price or aren't coming down too quick in price. And that's why we have inflation. You know, when things are becoming worth more and more and more, the governments, or I guess you could say the government, the Federal Reserve or the federal banking system, the monetary funds, what they will do is they will make sure that they raise interest rates to try and slow down people's spending. Because if I go and buy a coffee today for $3 and then tomorrow it's $5 and then in two weeks it's $10 and then it's $15, you end up with what I understand Zimbabwe is like, where now you have, I think they have million dollar bills. So you essentially can pay for things with million dollar bills because their money is worthless, essentially. So instead of having a $1 note, you will have to walk around with millions of dollars in your pocket just to be able to buy stuff. And so it doesn't really work effectively. It's not an effective way of managing the economy. So Federal Reserves, the government, the banking funds, and so on, they try to stabilize it because people need stability in order to be able to live effectively. And if our money was going up and down so volatile day by day by day, people just couldn't live. They couldn't survive. Like it'd just be a head fuck for the majority of society. So that's why they're there. And they sort of counterbalance each other because sometimes governments want to spend a lot more money. And so they will print a lot more money and throw it out into the economy, which then raises inflation. So then what happens is you have things like the Federal Reserve that come out and they will raise interest rates, which then slow down people's spending. 
Anyway, that's a really, really, really basic understanding of how money works. If you haven't watched The Economic Machine by Ray Dalio, you can just go to YouTube. So let's go back into money and wealth creation and setting your financial thermostat. So your mindset is going to be the biggest influencing factor on your wealth and your ability to generate wealth. Now, most people, because they live in survival mode and they're struggling, are always trying to just get ahead. They're trying not to let go of that plank of wood that causes them to drown. And so because of that, they're living in a part of the brain called the amygdala, which is their emotional responses. And that there is responsible for our flight, fight, and freeze system. And when we look at patterns of human behavior, you'll see how obvious it is that most people will never get ahead financially and will never change. If most people look in the mirror today, the person that they see today with all their patterns of behavior that they have is gonna be that exact same person in one year's time, probably with worse patterns of behavior, worse mindset, or worse psychology, yet the only difference will be that they've just aged a year and wasted a year of their life. That's a harsh truth. But when we drop down into the amygdala, the emotional center of the brain, you have this thing called the flight, fight, and freeze response. And so it's a primitive response to protect us and keep us safe. But that means that when someone's living in that response, they're only just doing enough just to survive. So they go to survival mode. So when someone says to me, I'm doing just enough to survive, I know the majority of the choices that they're making are fear-based responses in order just to survive. And the flight, fight, and freeze response is so obvious because what you'll see their patterns of behavior are, they might become aggressive. So they will aggressively pursue things and aggressively try to change things for a short period of time until they burn out. They're the sort of people who are like, you know what, fuck it, I'm gonna work really, really hard this month. I'm gonna get ahead. I'm gonna crush it. I'm gonna do stuff. I'm gonna change my life. And for a week or a month, you watch them. They just work really, really hard. They get just ahead financially. And then all of a sudden, they're back in the same position a month later because they're burnt out. They now start to celebrate their ability to generate wealth. And they go, you know what, I'm just gonna buy this, this one thing. And one thing turns into two things and three things and so on, and they're back in the same position. So you have the fight response. Then you have the flight response, which there are a lot of people in our society that run away from their financial problems. They'll just try to avoid them. They don't want to deal with them. They don't even want to listen to this shit. They're probably the people who listen to this podcast when I give you these tips and you go, oh, I'll do it later. I'll do it later. And you'll just keep putting it off. You'll keep putting it off. You'll keep putting it off. These are the same people who keep putting off coming to my events. Every time I talk to them, they go, yeah, 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 no, no, I'll definitely come. I'll definitely come. And then over time, yeah, yeah, no, 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 I'll, I'll definitely come to the next one. I'll definitely come to the next one. All they're doing is they're running away from it. And they know they need to change, but at the same time, they're living in fear. And their fear response is, if I put it off for long enough, something will change. Now that's a lack of responsibility. And that's because they can't self-reflect and go, if I don't fucking change this, nothing's ever gonna change. What they're hoping is that the economy is gonna change, an opportunity will come up, they'll get a better paycheck or they'll get a pay rise, they'll win cross lotto, They'll be able to gamble their way to wealth. And so they're waiting for some sort of external economic circumstance to change so that then it changes their life. These people never really get ahead. And this is also why cross lotto winners normally end up worse off than what they did before they win lotto. Because if you take bad habits and amplify them, everything gets worse. So if you have shit money habits and I give you a million dollars, believe me, that will amplify. Very rarely do people change the way that they do things when they win lotto. There's actually a good series that follow around cross lotto winners. And in this series, the majority of people ended up losing their money or they just spent it on bullshit. I saw this one dude on the TV series. He was reliving his youth. He'd just wake up in the morning, he'd sit by the pool, he'd invite a whole bunch of chicks around. He would invite all his mates around. All his mates would just sting off of him. And they didn't do anything. They just partied like they were in a frat house back when he was at college. We're talking, I think this guy was like in his 50s. It was just so obvious to see these patterns of behavior and how bad they were. And he ended up losing all of his money. He, he lost it all. 
there was only one couple who had a family. I think they had a fairly big family, like four kids or five kids or something like that. And the first thing that they did was they went and they said, we're not going to do anything with our money. And they just sat on it. And then they went out there and they hired advisors. They started learning about wealth and they only started doing some investments. That's the only way they started spending money apart from, I think they did some improvements on their house, put in a bigger pool and they would invite some friends and family around for a barbecue every now and again. That was about it. They were the most intelligent ones and they actually kept their money in ruin. The rest of them lost all their money. And this is very common in society because most people think that everything's going to change when they get more money, when the truth is everything's going to amplify. Things don't change when you get more money, they amplify. So shit habits amplified just mean everything gets worse. Okay, and this is also why business owners who have bad financial habits tend to crash their businesses into the ground eventually. So, and then the final response is the freeze response. So this is just shut down and don't do anything. And so you've got the flight response. The flight response is run away. You've got the fight response, which is aggressively pursuing things until you burn out. And that's that real hard push for short periods of time and then you give up. And then the freeze response is just do nothing. And so most people in society, when it comes to their bank account and it comes to wealth creation, will fight, flight or run away from their problems or just freeze and do nothing. Quickly, if you're a business owner in Australia that makes over 300K per year and you're wanting to grow to $10 million or you're frustrated that your business still heavily relies upon you to get stuff done effectively and efficiently, then message me or my team on social media to find out more about my 12-month business implementation and growth mastermind called Business Growth Odyssey. We currently only intake 10 business owners each month into the program and there are still some places open for this month's intake. Our goal is to help you to create more operational freedom in your business so that the business doesn't rely on you as the owner. We help you to implement processes, systems, management, hiring, and all the other things like sales, marketing, and so on to help you to scale your business without the usual levels of extreme anxiety, stress, pressure, overwhelm, etc. that most business owners face when they scale their business between 300K and $10 million. Plus, the best thing is you attend live business growth events each quarter, have weekly accountabilities, and join an amazing network of driven business owners who do not accept mediocrity in life or business. So message me or reach out to my team to find out more and set up a call. So here's how we change that thermostat. There's a few big ways of doing it. And I've seen this happen time and time again with people who come to my Thrive Time event is that when they get clear with their success map, they have a greater reason to have consistency over a long period of time. So personally, I believe that Thrive Time is probably one of the greatest things that you can do in order to reset your thermostat and create a life where you'll be more abundant because over time, you'll have consistency to keep working towards something. That will pay off financially. So that's number one. Because when you're clear with a long-term mission, you've got a big long-term reason to keep working, to keep doing things that are fulfilling, but also generate value in the economy and in society. And we also have to understand that with money, money is the exchange of value. Nothing else and nothing more. The finance industry has fucked this because they have something called, there's something called a zero-sum game. And what that means is, that when someone does something, someone else loses. So if I win, someone else loses. Now the finance industry plays that game. And that's why most people hate the finance industry. This is what happened to 2008 on Wall Street, where banks were going out there and lending people money, knowing that the banks were gonna make money, but they were setting people up to fail and they were setting people up to lose in life. That is a zero sum game. What happens there is that the banks were lending people money that couldn't afford it. The banks were making shit tons of money. Their advisors and everybody else were making a shit ton of money. And mums and dads who were trying to get ahead financially and didn't really understand the financial literature, they didn't really have a mindset for wealth creation, were getting set up to fail. And then as the market started to collapse and people couldn't pay for their second and third and fourth investment property, which the banks you know, freely gave them, providing that they were rented out and that people could keep paying for them, everything was fine. But once people stopped paying for them, they couldn't afford it anymore because housing prices went through the roof. 
then all of a sudden the whole thing just toppled. And so you end up with mums and dads and families and shit like that. They ended up losing their homes, living on the street. And it was just so that Wall Street could get rich. So the rich got richer by fucking people. And it wasn't all the rich. These weren't business owners. These were essentially the finance industry that were, I think, illegally doing stuff in order to rip people off. If you go back and watch some of the TV shows, some of the documentaries on 2008, you get some really good insights into the way that different people were thinking. The Big Short is one of my favorite movies. If you haven't watched it, go and watch it because it shows you what was happening in the finance industry, which I think is fucking disgusting. But that's the way that that industry gets played. And it's not regulated by governments because governments have their hand in their pockets. And so it screws people. And then most people think that the rich are greedy and they're just trying to fuck everyone. But if you look at someone like Elon Musk, who's the richest person on the planet, he just keeps creating and buying new businesses that help serve humanity. I mean, it's so stupid. When you have a look at the media, they will say, well, he's the richest person on the planet. You know, he's worth 100 or whatever it is now, 600, 700 billion dollars. Well, he's not really worth that. He doesn't have that in the bank account. That's not what he earns. What that is, is that's tied up in the shares of the business. But in order to get that money, he has to sell the shares of the business, which means he's not the owner anymore. So if my business does, let's say, $10 million a year, and I reinvest $10 million back into staffing, back into the business, I don't make a profit. I don't get any money, but the business keeps growing and more staff can feed their families and so on. That tends to be what happens with a lot of large businesses. Now, I'm not saying that they don't have private jets and they don't live certain lifestyles. I'm not saying that at all, because they definitely do. But their business expenses, that's not what they pull out of their personal income and take home and all of that sort of stuff. The media sort of throw that sort of shit around, which then makes people hate rich people instead of seeing them as being people that drive the economy forward, that create jobs, and that business has a massive failure rate. Like to have a business like Tesla or to SpaceX or a really large organization, they're like one in a billion companies. Well, I shouldn't say one in a billion companies, but they're one in maybe 100 million companies. There's not a lot of businesses that can grow to that level. And you can't have people that are unintelligent running businesses like that because you smash them into the ground. So they are unicorns, essentially. They're very rare. Unless they just run off of the pocket of Wall Street, and again, they're eventually going to collapse. So you need to understand these things and you need to see these things. But I highly recommend going and watching, if you haven't already watched it, definitely watch The Wolf of Wall Street because you'll see how someone who works in the finance industry operates and how some of them think and act and behave. And then also go and watch The Big Short, which is all around 2008. And Michael Borry, he decided to spend money to invest and put money against the market and waiting for the market to crash and how he picked up on that and the greed and all the shit that was going on there. That's not really how money works. Money is about fair and equitable value exchange. So if you think about money, if someone comes and does a job at my house, like let's say someone comes and puts new gutters on my house. In order to do that, I have to be able to pay them with some sort of value. They're not going to work for free. So they have some value. I don't do gutters. That's not my profession. But you've got an expert who comes out and they put brand new gutters on the house and fix all the plumbing and everything like that. So then I have to find a way of creating a fair and equitable value exchange. So what I do is I give them some of my money. Now I earn money through teaching and learning. So my skill set that I'm highly competent at is teaching, learning and coaching. So for some of you out there, you've paid to come to some of my events. I use that money then to go and trade that for someone else to go and fix the gutters on my house. And so there's this medium of exchange. Now, for some of you out there who have been to my events, your skill set may not be teaching, learning, and coaching, especially in the area of human behavior. But you know you need help in that area because it's going to help you to get better. It's going to help you to better your life. It's going to help you to better your family. It's going to help you to better your business, to be a better leader, and so on. And so you've got a skill set. Let's say you've got a, a small business, and that small business is sort of growing, and you need a bit of help. So then you go and do what you do best and you create some money from that that people pay you value for. And then you give that to me in order to help me to help you. 
And so we have this beautiful form of exchange going on and it happens every day and we call that an economy. Now, economies work really, really well when they're based on fair and equitable value exchange. Then you get governments who come along, they say, well, we're gonna take some of that money and we're gonna spend it in order to make sure that everyone is served effectively in the community. So they go take that money and then they go use that to better the living standards. So this economy works in this way. Where everything fucks up is when governments start taking money that they haven't earned and that they're not really entitled to off of hardworking people and then they go and blow it on bullshit. And most people know that, which is why most people don't like paying tax. If the government spent money effectively with their taxation, then we wouldn't mind that. Like I love walking around our streets and noticing that there's no rubbish and that when I go down the beach, that the beaches are clean and that they're using it to mow lawns and make everything look pretty. I love that. I love the fact that I can drive on nice roads. But after a while, when the roads are fucked and there's potholes everywhere and you start seeing rubbish around the place and you see a bunch of council workers that are standing around not doing anything, you start to get pissed off because that's unfair value exchange. For someone like our business, we pay a lot of money in taxation. I hate seeing nothing more than the council wasting my money and the government wasting my money because it's a lot of money that can serve a lot of people. And so this is where I've come back in other episodes where I talk about things like resentment is a byproduct of unfair value exchange. So when I look at council workers that are standing around doing sweet fuck all and are wasting government or taxpayers' money and the government are wasting money, then you start to resent the government, you start to resent the council. And that resentment is a byproduct of unfair value exchange. Now, the resentment that most people have for big business comes from Wall Street because Wall Street essentially is setting up illegal operations that they get around by having big lobby groups, especially in America, big lobby groups that push the government to change laws and allow them to get away with stuff and not lock them up in jail. And so because they're scrubbing the government's back, then the government aren't going to change those laws. And so most mum and dad investors or most people who are trying to work really, really hard to get ahead feel this unfair value exchange. So then they create resentment towards Wall Street and bankers and banks and governments. And so you start to see this resentment coming out in society quite a lot. But that's not really how money works. Money doesn't work like most people think. It is actually a form of value exchange, which if used correctly, creates fair and equitable value exchange to help people who create more value get ahead. So if you're someone who works hard, you can create more value. But if you're someone who works hard and smart, you will get ahead more financially than someone who just works hard. And I see this in businesses all the time. You know, we have a bunch of businesses who come to our business growth odyssey event and they have businesses like one of the guys that I'll mention here. I know he listens to this podcast, but Matt's a plumber. And when Matt came to Business Odyssey, he was a plumber who had a business, but he wasn't really a business owner. He was a plumber that had a plumbing business. When we got his mindset right and started to shift the way he thought about his business, he then became a business owner that understands plumbing. And so because his skill set now became business ownership, he grew it, started expanding his staff, starts making a bigger profit, buys a bigger warehouse, employs more people, is able to market more and so on. And so now he grows his business effectively because he had that mindset shift. He puts more money back into the economy and so on. And because now he is creating a more valuable business, a more valuable enterprise, he has better customer service, he has better delivery than most other plumbers out there, he's making more money because he's adding more value in the same product and service that most other plumbers are in. But because most other plumbers think of their job as being a skill set, and they don't think about all the other areas of business as being a form of value exchange, like if you have bad customer service, your perception of the value will decrease of that service. So if you have an electrician that comes out to your house and they do a really shitty job and leave fingerprints all over the wall and you know they put dust all over the floor, your perception of value decreases. Whereas when you get on the phone and they're polite and they ring up and they say, hey, just letting you know, our person will be out at eight o'clock tomorrow morning as per the appointment time. 
and they rock up a little bit early. They knock on the door at 7.59 and you go, shit, they're here on time. And then they do the job. They do it fast. They do it effectively. They're polite. They're courteous. They clean up after themselves and they leave. Your perception of value exchange goes up. And then when the customer service team rings you in a day and says, hey, just checking in. How would you rate our service? Did you like it? Is there anything we could have done better? Is everything working all okay? Again, the perception of value increases again in the customer's mind. So the customer is more than willing to pay a little bit more extra and a premium for that service because the idea of value exchange went up in the customer's mind. So if you want to increase your wealth, you have to increase your ability to understand value exchange. And this is how I've been able to help so many business owners accelerate their financial growth by just helping them to understand how their business creates value and how they create value and also change their thermostat in the way that they operate. That's one of the first things that I want to talk about was value exchange and what money really is. The second thing is here is that most people, when I speak to them, you can hear it in their language. They will say things like, we're comfortable. You know, I guess we're comfortable financially. What that really means is I'm at the moment, the seas are very calm. I'm holding onto a plank of wood. I'm floating and the seas are calm. Now, give them a couple of months and watch what happens. They're back in rough seas again. They're fucked. They're drowning again. And that's because their languaging is that I make just enough money to feel comfortable. If you ever feel comfortable, please understand that you're getting in a cycle of comfort and discomfort. And you'll go through this vicious cycle in any area of life of comfortably uncomfortable, where you will justify why you're not getting results because you're comfortable. So when someone says, oh, I guess we're comfortable financially, like the business makes just enough, you'll hear this languaging. And I know that they're in calm seas and eventually those seas are going to get stormy again and they're going to start drowning again. They're going to be gasping for air. The waves are going to be crashing over their face. They're going to be fucked. And then they've got to work hard because most people don't have any other skill set apart from hard work. And a lot of people don't even have fucking hard work. They just create an expectation that I should get paid more because I've been in my role for five years. And I've said this to staff before. I personally will never give you a pay rise just for being here for a period of time. Your job is to come to work and to create value. And should you create a great amount of value in excess of what you get paid, then you are highly likely that you will get a pay rise. So if I pay you $25 an hour and you earn the company $100 an hour based on your role, then you're probably gonna sit at $25 an hour for the rest of your life. Because by the time I pay tax, by the time you pay goods and services tax, by the time you take to account holidays, where someone is unproductive and they're not working, by the time you pay for fuck-ups and all the dumb shit that people do in their job roles that end up losing money for the business, it doesn't really equate to much more than $100 an hour. So there's very low profit margin in there. But if someone comes to work and let's say they're getting paid $25 an hour, if they generate $1,000 an hour for the business, you know, in six months, they've got a new idea and they're improving systems and processes. And now their role is generating $1,200, $1,300, $1,500. And there's this consistent progression of value that they're creating in the business, why would I want to lose that staff member? They become highly valuable in the business, so I'm going to pay them better. Now, small businesses in most cases operate this way, but large corporations, it's very, very hard to do that because sometimes it's hard to see for owners or for the CEOs to be able to see that value that's being created at a lower level, at a micro level. And then you've got managers who don't want high-performing staff to be seen because they would prefer to take the accolades and get the pay rise, not their staff members and so on. So that's just shitty culture. But in small businesses, you want to create as much value exchange. You know, I saw an interview the other day, which was fucking disgusting. And it was this guy on social media saying, if I was employed by someone, I would do the bare minimum. I would rock up on time. I would leave on time and I would do the bare minimum. And I thought this guy's a piece of shit. And he's a piece of shit because if you're living life doing the bare minimum just to get by, you don't even deserve a job. Go get the doll because your mindset is set to do the bare minimum, not to create value. Therefore, you are not valuable to any business. And your mindset sucks. It's the same as people who 
create expectations that they deserve things. And I hear people say this all the time. Well, I'm entitled to this and I deserve this. You don't deserve shit and you're not entitled to anything. What you're entitled to is understanding the law of value exchange and creating fair and equitable exchange. Because should you do that effectively, then you will be worth something in society all the time. And even if you think about our friends and family, the ones we enjoy catching up with the most are those who provide the most value. The best relationships we have are those who provide the best value. Relationships that work are based on value. I know that part of the reason why Jess and I are still together is because we create value for each other and we create value through each other through our values. There are things that I do in our relationship that she perceives are highly valuable. There are things that she does in our relationship that I perceive as highly valuable, hence why we don't separate. But if you start seeing that someone in the relationship is taking advantage of there's an unfair value exchange, eventually you'll create resentment towards them to the point where you just break up. And so if someone feels like they're doing everything in the relationship, they're undersupported and they're not valued, eventually they'll leave. The law of value exchange essentially is the basic fundamental of human behavior and interpersonal relationships. It's how economies work. It's how people work. It's how societies work. It's how the world works. That's why understanding human behavior and what I teach at some events like Thrive Time or our Business Growth Odyssey or even our leadership event Triumph will change the way you operate and reset the way you do everything. So I know like these podcasts that I do are free, but I know that by doing these podcasts, I'm creating value for a lot of people out there. Those people, if they understand the law of value exchange, will eventually go, shit, this guy can teach me something. Maybe I'll pay and come to his event. Then when you come to an event like Thrive Time or something like that, if I do a good job and I add value, then you'll go, what else does this guy have? And you'll want to keep buying because the product and service offers more value than what you pay for. So you'll stay in the pipeline. That's how pipelines are built. Give more value than what you get back in return and people will stay. You know, we definitely have people who come along and they take more than what they give and slowly but surely they get filtered out of the community. I have people who crack the shits and they go, you know, I paid for a fucking $2 product or something like that. And you don't get back to my messages. And I'm like, this guy doesn't understand the law of value exchange. They're taking the piss. I'd rather give them their $2 back and tell them to fuck off because what they want is way more than $2 from me. Essentially, they pay $2 and they feel entitled to thousands of dollars worth of my knowledge and my time. That's not fair. And so I don't want to become resentful. So I just give them the money back and let them walk because that law of value exchange isn't there. Now, the question is, how do we change our financial thermostat? So here are five quick things that you can implement immediately that should you do this, you adjust your financial thermostat. And there's a lot more that you can be doing as well. Like I said, if you come to our Thrive Time event, I can almost guarantee that your ability to generate wealth will increase and your ability to understand value exchange will increase. You'll start attracting more higher value people around you who understand your value and who see your value because you understand your own value and you understand the laws of human behavior and how people operate. And so the first thing that I want you to do is you're going to write down and you're going to grab a pen and paper and you're going to write down 200 reasons for each one of these things. So what it is, is you grab a pen and paper, like it might be a journal, it might be a notepad, and you're going to write down 200 reasons why creating value is important. So I'll give you some examples. 200 reasons why creating value is important. Well, because it builds better relationships. It helps me to connect with more high value people. It allows me to serve more people. I feel like I'm out there being productive and helping people to achieve. By creating more value in our economy, I'm creating new ideas and inspiring people to be better. By creating more value, I get paid better. I can then bring that value back into my family, into my friendship circles, and I can help my friends and family live a better life, and so on. Now, you can exchange the word value for money at any time because money is just value and value is money. So if you don't make enough money, it's because you don't perceive you have enough value in some way, shape, or form, or that you can't deliver enough value, or you can't communicate your value in some way, shape, or form. And that's why I think sales and marketing are such great tools, because marketing is essentially the communication of value into a large population. 
sales essentially is sitting there with someone and then showing them the exchange of value and then helping them to make a decision if that value is important to them or not. What we want to do is we want to go back and we want to write down 200 reasons why creating value is important. And I legitimately mean 200 reasons. The reason why we do this is because every time you write a reason, you're essentially creating a neurological link in your brain that is showing you that there are more benefits to doing this task and that there are disadvantages to not doing it. And so when you start stacking up a lot of benefits in your own psychology, you create a habit really, really quickly. This is also something that I teach at our Thrive Time event where I can show people how to create a new habit in an hour. Okay, and that's legitimate. Now, scientifically, you know, based on the data, they normally say that it takes anywhere between about 21 and 26 days, up to 365 days to create a new habit. But if you really think about it, I'm sure there's been habits that you've been trying to create for 10 years that you still haven't created. So it all depends on how much your brain can wire and fire circuits in the brain to perceive it's beneficial to do that thing. So by writing every reason, every time you write a reason and you think about that reason, your brain fires and creates a new circuit that then links a benefit to doing that thing. So if you're creating more value in society and able to communicate that value more effectively, then you're going to make more money over a period of time. So that's why we're doing it. So it just becomes habitual. After you've done that one, you want to go back and you want to start the next one. And the next one is 200 reasons why serving an ever-increasing amount of people is important. So like I know, the more I can get this podcast out to more people, the more people get value from me. The more people who get value from me, the more likely they are to come and do one of my events. The more likely they are to come do one of my events, the more likely I have the ability to get paid better and for the business to make money. The more money the business makes, the more I can reinvest it back into staff, a better quality of service, and the more we can serve our community. The more we keep doing that, the more people come into the community, the more people listen to the podcast, the more money I make, and so on. So we end up in this expanding cycle of growth, not only with me, not only with the business, but also with the people who use our products and services. So that's why that second one is important. So it's 200 reasons why serving an ever-increasing amount of people is important. So it might be serving your kids, as in getting out there and, and helping them to understand their values and helping optimize their life. How does that help you? How does helping others optimize their life? How does helping others be better? How does giving them the product or the service? Like let's say you've got that electrical business. How does serving more people with good electrical knowledge help? Well, they can make better decisions. They can hire better tradies. It can remove shit tradies out of the industry. It also helps us to create better employment opportunities, to help create better training. All of these things are those reasons why serving an ever-increasing amount of people is important. So after you've done number two, go to number three. 200 reasons why investing in yourself and your mindset is important. Again, if you can link those two to 300 people, you'll just become a learning machine. And the more you learn and the faster you learn off of intelligent people, the faster you'll get results. And I know this personally. I spent a million dollars on learning before I'd created my first million dollars. And since I created my first million dollars, I've never dropped below a million dollars worth of earning in a 12-month period. And so that's just where my thermostat is now. And that was reset by consistently learning and surrounding myself with people who are growth-driven. But what most people do is they think, if I just work harder, then I'll get more money. But it never changes anything because they don't surround themselves with the right knowledge to be able to change the way that they think about things. So they just end up in the same positions. So this here is 200 reasons why investing in yourself and your mindset is important. And legitimately write out those 200 reasons. This task here could probably take you a month to a month and a half to do. I do this all the time when I'm trying to create new habits. I'll just sit there and I will write and I will write and I will write and I will write. And sometimes I come back to it and I keep adding to it. So your mind will keep expanding. And as it expands, I keep writing stuff. So if I want to create a new habit like go to the gym, I'll write 200 reasons why going to the gym is important. And then I will link it as many times as I can until I create a behavioral change. Normally it can take an hour, two hours, three hours. But for most people, they might do one of these a week. They might do one of these a month. So it just depends on how quick you want to get these results. Depends on how long it's going to take. 
So the third one was 200 reasons why investing in yourself and your mindset is important. The fourth one is 200 reasons why investing in financial assets is important. So everybody knows that we want to accumulate assets, not liabilities, and eventually we get ahead financially. So we want 200 reasons why investing in financial assets is important. And then finally, 200 reasons why saving a predetermined amount is important. So for most people, I would recommend that they save a minimum of six months worth of income, if not 12 months, depending on how volatile their life is or their business. The reason why we do this is that saving money isn't for a rainy day. Saving money is to set your thermostat at a level where you're not operating in fear because we don't want that fight, flight, and freeze response to consistently kicking off. So if you can set six months of income aside, Let's say your lifestyle, you need $1,000 a week to survive. Now, if you've got $52,000 in the bank, you know that you can survive for a year, bare minimum, at your current lifestyle. And so if you put that money there, your brain goes, cool, I'm safe. And then it'll switch off, and so you start making better financial decisions. This is the reason why that one there is so important. So anyway, I hope that this helps River Mofos. I know this episode's a little bit longer than normal, but I really wanted to get out there and help people to reset that financial thermostat because every week I get on the phone with someone or I talk to someone through social media, And they know that they need to change. They know that things need to change, but then they just sit there with excuses in that flight, fight and freeze response where most people freeze and they don't want to do anything. They don't want to make a decision because they're afraid, they're scared, they're worried. They think, you know, what will my partner think? You know, my partner doesn't understand this or, you know, but what if it doesn't work? You know, I don't have the money yet they can go and pay for a car loan, but they won't pay for themselves to go and get a better education and learn more so that they can grow. And so that fear causes them to freeze or to make excuses or to justify their position or to blame things. These are very, very normal patterns of human behavior that most people have, but most people will never thrive in life. So if you want to thrive and you want to get ahead, I highly recommend that you get the fuck out of that fear response of freezing and not making decisions, running away from your financial problems or running away from problems or aggressively pursuing new goals or trying to work really, really hard, but then falling apart and melting down and burning out because that doesn't help. Consistency over the long period of time will make sure that you get ahead financially. Anyway, Driven Mofos, I hope that helps. If you haven't grabbed your tickets yet for Thrive Time yet, make sure you do it. Just go to our website, check it out. I'm sure you'll all be able to find where the website is. I'm sure there's links down below somewhere in the thread or something like that on the podcast platform. But I guarantee it comes with the money back guarantee that you'll get more value than what you pay for, guaranteed. And a lot of people have come to that event who have financial struggles and like struggle week to week to week just to pay to get there. And then when they're there, within six to 12 months, they've had this growth where they start coming to other events that we have and so on because they start ending up with better financial structures, a better financial psychology. They understand how to add more value and so on. So, you know, I hope that that helps more people in our community as well and changes lives. Have a great day, everyone. Keep pushing hard. Keep living with mojo. Remember, most people waste their lives and I just don't want you to be one of them. (laughs) 